the Charlton Daily. A Scotland Euro 2020 podcast by Hockey the Hack. Good morning and a very warm welcome to episode four of the Tartan Daily. Today we're finding all out, out, so you can tell it's the early morning, can't you? Today we're finding out uh, all about tomorrow's opposition, the Czech Republic. I think this is the earliest I've been up to do a podcast. I've had a shower, but I'm still feeling the fatigue of the early morning. And do you know what? I'm feeling a bit of emotional fatigue as well after everything that happened with Christian Eriksen last night. So it's brilliant to see that he's on his road to recovery. And I'll be honest, we probably wouldn't even have done one of these this morning if it wasn't looking a bit better for him. So it's good to see that. But joining us today, as I say, is Tomasz Danicek uh, from the Czech Footy website. He's an expert journalist and has all the knowledge that we need about tomorrow's opposition. And I'm quite interested to get your perspective in Scotland as well, Tomáš. How are you this morning, mate? Well, I'm I'm feeling overwhelmed as well. Uh, as you as you said, it, it it feels kind of surreal. The the whole tournament is going on without a pause, essentially, only for like a, yeah an hour or so. So that's still dwells on me as well as you. Uh, mm-hmm. But I don't, I'm fine. Yeah, I also had a shower, so hopefully I'll. I'll <laughs> your your hair looks drier than mine. <laughs> no, yeah. that's good. That, that's good. Um, no, thanks for joining us today, mate. Uh, I think everyone from from Scotland is is kind of looking for a bit more knowledge about what we are going to be up against tomorrow, and also to get a bit of perspective because you guys have obviously been to more major tournaments than us in the last twenty three years. This is our first one in all that time, only the second in a quarter of a century. But what was the what's the kind of prevailing opinion of the Scottish team? In, in your homeland, I mean, do you think we've got got a bit about us, or is there is there a kind of acceptance that Scotland maybe aren't the force that they once were a few years back? I, I would definitely say everyone in in the Czech Republic is looking at Scotland as as probably the most beatable side. I'm usually the most pessimist person, uh, purely because you guys face essentially two very different Czech teams because of COVID. The first game in the Nation, Nations League was uh, very different for us with a different coaching staff, with a B team composed only of, of players from the domestic league. Yep. You, yep. Beat, you beat that team and then you beat the A team as well uh, a couple of months later. Uh, so you guys got our number basically and you also know more Czech players than, than uh, most of the national teams do just, just uh, based on that. Uh, so I have a, a ton of respect just for that. I also think that your playing style is very much uh, akin to ours. So okay, uh, and you know some realization. What sort of uh, ways? Because well. what in terms of the way the team is structured, or in terms of um, more the approach and the mindset? It's it's more the approach and the mindset. I would say uh, for for us, we definitely struggle when we need to break down a, a deeper block or even a mid block. We don't have that creative midfielder who could who could uh, you know spread spread the pass or even come up with a final pass uh, or pre-final for that matter. And uh, you saw that in in the in the fixture with our A team, uh, which saw you going ahead very early. Obviously, that, that sort of influenced um, and set us back as well. 
but at the same time it was very familiar for us even when it's nil nil uh, we just grow impatient and we we make uh, costly mistakes as we go uh, the further we go so it's more that you know the the favorite stack that someone slapped uh, some people slap on on on, Czech, on the Czech Republic now just based on the tournament experience though I should remind you that only two players have actually played at Euros previously and that's Kadejabek who's probably not going to start anyway and mm -hmm. the captain who's um, fairly criticized and even scrutinized by some people who, who think he he's not our uh, for the best midfielder uh, with, with Kral and, and Socek. So that tournament ex experience is actually not there, so I'm not even sure it's it's an advantage for us. Well, that's interesting. Is there, has there been a lot of sort of people in the Czech Republic who are basically saying that if you want to qualify, it's a case of win the first game and then hope for points out of the other team, given the strength of England and Croatia, respectively? Yeah, I think actually the, the fixture, um, the schedule actually suits us because we, we get to face Croatia after what could be a blowout victory for England in, in the opener. I I expect, I expect England to be especially motivated in the first game. Uh, yeah. And Do you think the home crowd and, and that sort of thing, is that, is exactly, that what you're thinking? Yeah, exactly as well, yeah. Um, but then, then we are facing England in what could potentially be for them a dead rubber when they they may rotate a lot and you know if if, if they already have a qualification in the back at, at that point we might also squeeze out a point so actually the the fixture composition uh composition for us is is, is very uh, i would say promising uh but then again you you just have to <laughs> predict and uh yeah that's that's kind of wild but because i still think that this group could go either way especially beyond england I think all those three teams are uh, beatable. Uh, they have their own flaws and strengths, and even Croatia. Like many many people would just put Croatia second uh, automatically, uh, but they, they've declined quite heavily since since the World Cup. So, uh, so I think I think there's a way as well. Uh, I think I think there is an opportunity there against Croatia uh, and against definitely. England. I think the difference with Scotland is. When we play England, it's a different game for them. It's a different mindset. That rivalry means that it's there's going to be a bit of the kind of you know the intangibles of football. I think they'll come in to play a lot more against England for Scotland than for any other team. And I was actually I was I watched uh, England beat the Czech Republic. Like, uh, I'm trying to think, was it a couple of years ago maybe, and and they won five 0 at Wembley. And the yeah, that was in that yeah, there looked to be a big gap between the sides at that point. There looked to be a considerable gulf between between both teams. Do you think that has closed somewhat in terms of the, the Czech team has got better and progressed and, and looks a bit more solid now? Or do you think the team's pretty similar to the to the team that I saw get dismantled by England? Uh, well, definitely they've progressed because it's worth remembering it was uh, at the very beginning of, of uh, the tenure of the current coach. Uh, we actually, uh, he was still searching for, for some sort of identity and also ideal uh, starting 11. Uh, we had a, well, incidentally, we actually had a centre-back pairing that's probably going to start against Scotland as well. But that that pairing had not started uh 
another game till till 2020. Uh, so in the whole qualifier, they were just dropped for for the whole period. And also, we we started to write back. Presumably, it's uh, Kudela's absence, which is is um, ha has affected the, the fact that it's going to be that pairing. Yeah, yeah, to to uh, definitely to a great extent. I mean, he he actually came through, even though he's in his mid thirties. He only came through in late twenty twenty as well, and but then started all of the World Cup qualifiers. So he would definitely be relied on as well. Uh, but then there was also another tandem, which would be Brabets and Chaluska, that, that we thought, or as, at least the coach thought, uh, could be relied on as well. But then the Italy friendly came and they dismantled us as, as well, even though we thought that that's not going to happen anymore. Uh, because as I said, um, the team has kind of uh, f found a balance since that game. Uh, it definitely seems to be... Uh, to be more steady, actually, the qualifiers itself, uh, as opposed to the previous ones, when we uh, needed needed a goal or a turnaround to come back, uh, even against Kazakhstan, I think. And yeah, we, we could beat three 0 off them in the Nations League. Uh, or sorry, in yeah. the previous qualifying. So that that that's a that's one to look back on. We have a. Exactly. When when I when I did my research actually for for a Scotland tournament preview. Plenty of people uh, mentioned that game as the low point when, when they thought that Scotland hit the rock bottom, which is funny because in a few months you actually qualified for the tournament. Yeah, uh, that's football though, isn't it? And especially with the new Nations League type format, it, it gives you the, the backup, you know, where you get the playoff. And it was that, that was the one sort of good achievement of Alex McLeish's second spell in charge of Scotland. But Steve Clark has come in, and Scotland look a much, a much stronger team and a much more confident team. Mm. And I think that makes us a bit of a dangerous proposition. But then again, the Scottish psyche kicks into play, and you think we can't get too overconfident, or that's going to be to our detriment, you know. And there's a lot of yeah. psycho. I don't know if you're aware of this, Tom, but there's a lot of psychological second guessing goes on between Scottish fans and the Scottish team and things like that, we, we're often, mentality-wise, the architects of our own downfall because we tend to be quite negative and we tend to be, I don't know, how can I put it? But yeah, we, we just look at things through quite a negative prism and obviously not qualifying for a tournament for a quarter of a century has just emphasised that massively. But I think we are going to be going into this and going into the Czech game full of confidence. The problem is, the way that you think the schedule plays into your hands, I think the complete opposite for Scotland. We could do with a game to get our feet nice and sort of steady in the tournament, and then I, I would rather get a game under our belt before we play the Czech Republic, because obviously it's the most winnable game. But at the same time, if we go out and we get three points, then it's the perfect start to the tournament and gives you a really good chance of qualifying under the, the sort of rejigged format where four of the, the six third-place teams go through. So th there is an opportunity there. What's the opinion in the Czech Republic of this sort of vintage of Scotland? Because obviously we've seen a little bit of each other. And I don't think we were dramatically good in those Nations mm. League games, particularly the one we played against your B or C team. Uh, mm. I, I think I think we, we could have made more of a statement at that point. So I'm wondering if people are looking at that and then they're going, well, do you know what? Scotland aren't very good, really. We, we've not got much to fear here. 
So what's the what's the confidence of the team, do you think, and the confidence of the nation for you guys going into the opening game? Well, for myself, again, I'm, I'm a bit of a pessimist because I also know the factor of, of the home, home soil is going to be huge probably and we haven't we've only beaten scotland uh in scotland in in 1999 which which most people uh, don't even remember uh since then i think it was four stands in scotland and and uh we we never succeeded uh, fully at least um so that's kind of depressing obviously it goes the same for for england that that's even never uh, beating them um, and, and with Scotland, I think plenty of people underestimate even the the fact that uh, Shay Adams uh, has coming since 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 our last meeting, and he might be a game changer as well up top. Um, and I think together with uh, with uh, Dykes or or whoever plays there, uh, they might uh, harass our our centre backs who are uh, famously prone to making a mistake because they are not ball playing kind of centre backs. Uh, so you put them under pressure, and, and you 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 might be you might be fine. And uh, at the same time, if you then retract to a deep block, then as I mentioned, we we usually can't unlock unlock that. So I think Scotland is very very well positioned to actually take points of us. Yeah, well, I think that's good that there's that there's a chance there because we we we're coming into the game with confidence, I think, and. We've obviously beaten Luxembourg with a decent performance against the Netherlands. And the strength in our team is actually is weird because under Steve Clark, we've not scored a lot of goals in a lot of games. But I would say the strength of the team is definitely at the front end of the pitch. It's definitely in the midfield and going forward rather than in defence. However, we do play a three or a five at the back, which kind of counteracts that. And the most interesting tactical area of the Scotland team is the left back area where you've got... Kieran Tierney and Andy Robertson. And Steve Clark has finally answered the, the conundrum of how to get both of those players in the team and both of them playing well. So how is the right side of the Czech team in terms of dealing with that threat? So I'm talking maybe the right side of defence and, and the right side of the defensive midfield. Do you think that okay. there are good players to try and counteract the threat that is posed by Kieran Tierney and Andy Robertson doubling up? Yeah, I think we are actually well positioned to counter that because we have so far, obviously, you, you know, from the Premier League as well. Yep. Uh, he he looked kind of gassed, kind of tired in in uh, pre pre Euro friendlies. Uh, he was uncharacteristically bad, and he wasn't very good against Wales in, in World Cup qualifiers as well. So hopefully, that's just a temporary thing. But um, he's obviously very good in just from physical defense to even deep crosses and, and that kind of stuff. So a real two-way presence you should provide. And then also we have a defensive winger probably starting today, which would be Lukáš Masopust, who played with Sofal a lot at, at Slavia. Uh, I think they played together even, even something around 20, 20 games uh, or 15, something like that in, in, cup, in European Cups itself. Uh, obviously, much, much more games, many more games in, in domestic league. Uh, so they know each other, they can back up each other. Uh, they have some sort of chemistry going, even combination wise. So that right hand side is actually, I feel, much stronger defensively, especially um, than the left hand side. Interesting. Uh, I think I think that's going to make for an interesting game then, because 
similarly, we are a lot less strong on, on the right side than, than we are on the left, I would say, generally speaking. Um, what other areas of the Czech team would you say Scotland should be sort of concerned with and, and, and worried about? Like, where's the real strength in your side? Um, not just in terms of the area of the pitch as well. Like, what would you say stylistically are the strengths of, of the Czech team? Well, stylistically, well, I, I have to start with set pieces. Obviously, when you have Sochek, it's going to be a big part of your game. And we've actually mastered that to a pretty good point. We finished the qualifiers with uh, 11 shots of corner kicks itself in two last games when we actually needed to clinch, uh, clinch the qualification as well, which is quite an astonishing number. And we, we've currently got a streak going of, of, 18, uh, of 18 official games, including friendlies, since uh, the Kosovo loss in, in September 2019, when we had a, you know, that was the last game when we didn't have a single shot of so we have some very that's capable. Uh, uh, that, that's a really good stat, Tom. So there's yeah. going to be a real threat from set pieces, especially with Scotland being a pretty small side in terms of height. Oh, are they? Yeah. Then I, I feel like we should. We, we even have some set piece routines, and especially across towards a far post, uh, then looking for a layoff or for for a knockdown for for some arriving uh, players, or even across to the edge of the penalty area, uh, that sort of stuff. So. They have plenty of variety on on various uh, set pieces, so that that would come in handy if it, if it's a weakness of yours as well, and uh, that could be exploited. And other than that, I think Yangto and and Chick, uh, who are our most gifted attacking players, uh, they kind of have uh, chemistry going. They they search for each other uh, on the page because they used to play for under twenty ones together as well. They play at, at one Euro together. Um, in so, so who's that? Repeat those names for us again. Uh, Patrick Schick, who's now starting for Leverkusen in, in Germany, and, and Yankto, he's playing in, in Serie A mm -hmm. uh, or for Sampdoria. Uh, so yeah, these two definitely look out for them. Yankto also takes all of the, or most of the set pieces together with Darida. So, so you, you're going to see plenty of them. If we are on a good game, you're going to see plenty of them. If we struggle to create anything from open play, they are the ones we, we would be looking to and, and criticize them as well. Yeah. Now, well, we've got a third person joining us now, Andy Barge, who was on episode one with Rory Hamilton, is back with us, the man who's going to be commentating on Scotland-England for Talk Sport and also runs the Hamden Roar podcast. Thanks for joining us, Andy. We've now got a front three. All right. Excellent. I know. I'm good this morning, mate. I was just saying uh, I've not had time to dry my hair after my morning shower. <laughs> I think this is too early for me. Um, Thomas is just telling us the the strength that the Czechs are probably going to have from set pieces, and I think that's a bit. That must be a bit of a worry. You as a fellow Scot, hearing that that's a strength in their team, does that give you a bit of concern? Given the 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 lack of height and the lack of physicality in, in some areas of the pitch, particularly defensive set pieces that we've got? I think depending depends who plays at the back three for Scotland. You look at Grant Hanley, you'll know more than most, you shouldn't lose out on many headers. Uh, Not Declan that many. Yeah, Declan Gallagher, that's, uh, that's his USP. Um, so I think if, as and, and Tierney for his height, Tierney can't be any taller than five foot ten, maybe. And I don't think that Tierney... 
is going to shirk a challenge. Never, in fact. Um, so I think we've got players back there that we should rely on. It's just important that they all stay switched on because if Thomas is saying that the Czechs are, are quite intelligent and capable from set pieces, the last thing that Scotland need is, for example, like when McTominay switched off against Serbia and yeah, that was a big scored in the last minute. So if Scotland stays switched on uh, and focused, then I think we, we shouldn't be too worried about set pieces because Steve Clark's a defensively minded coach. This is this is really what he revels in. Yeah, that's true. That, that, that's very true. Uh, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to bring up the Czech squad on the screen. Now, there are a couple of changes to this, so I'll let you detail those first, Thomas, because um, you told me in a, in a Twitter message what those have been. Yuri Pavlenka of the goalkeepers, first of all. I understand that he's out and, and Kubek is in. Thomas Kubek. Yeah, Kobeck is probably coming in as a as a third choice, which means that Mandos is is moving to a backup uh, position. Uh, he's quite a success story because he only started playing in the top flight in in Czech Republic in in 2019. So he's quite a recent success story. Mm. Uh, but yeah, Pavlenka seemed like he could edge Vatslik for a starting position. I I don't think it was ever on the cards, but there was at least a debate in in Czech media and among Czech fans who should be starting because Vatslik hasn't really played for Sevilla, uh, but he's been always number one for Shelhavi. So I, I think that was not very, very much a deba debate for the coach himself. Uh, but yeah, it's, it, it still feels like a fairly significant loss. So Thomas Vatslik will be the, the, the first choice though. Um, so that, that, that's something to identify for anyone who's listening to this in the audio podcast. Uh, I'll quickly run through the names. Now, if any of these pronunciations are particularly bad, Thomas, I've not uh, done a Czech team in a commentary in a long time. So I'm very much winging this. Um, but I've got Alice Mandus, Yuri Pavlenka, who's dropped out to be replaced by Thomas Kubek. Um, Thomas Vaslik uh, at the back, uh, in goal, sorry. Then at the back, we've got uh, Jan Borrell, uh, Borrell, Jakub Brabets, uh, Vladimir Sufa, Andres Shalutska, Pavel Kadrabek, Tomas Kalas, Alice Mateshu, and David Jima. Uh, any of those particularly bad pronunciation wise? No, I think that was decent, actually. <laughs> no, well, I'm hoping so. Um, midfielders, uh, Antonin Barak, uh, Vladimir Darida, Adam Khozik, um, Thomas Hollis, Jakub Yankto, who you mentioned uh, a few moments ago, Alex Kral, um, Lukas Masopust, Jakub Peshek, Thomas Susek, um, and Peter Sevcik. Um, any of those particularly bad? No, still good. No, all right. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm making me nervous now. I've only got four to go. Um, Michael Kremensik, um, Tomas Peckart, Patrick Sik, and uh, Matej Vidra. Um, any of those you would pick out as particularly bad? Or are we all right? Have we, have we got the lot? Uh, no, they had, I mean, generally, the, the Czech pronunciation is just a very tricky one. We have all, all those all those little thingies above our letters that make it incredibly <laughs> difficult. And in fact, even for Slovaks who've been, who had been part of the same country with us for, for decades, uh, they struggle to pronounce Jan Botel, for example, who's, who's the defender, uh, mm -hmm. because that is, is just uh, impossible for, for any non-Czech person to pronounce. That's so I'm mm -hmm. going to cut some slack to, for just about <laughs> okay. anyone. 
Thank you for that. Um, you do realise now the next time that I've got a check name in a game that I'm commentating, you're going to be the first person that I message. Because uh, my old <laughs> friend that used to do that is, is is now sort of happily married and less less gettable. Um, just on, on, on that sort of squad list then, um, where do you think the, the real strength in the squad is? If you if you were if you were to identify one area, I'd say the the position we we have some players even going through that would be the centre midfield. Uh, Alex Kral is still young and he's he's targeted by West Ham. He's he's a very dynamic. Uh, he used to play as a as a centre back as well, and he's kind of a box to box presence. He he doesn't really shoot, but he's more of a intuitive passer. So he can he can spring, okay. spring a surprise with a with a even vertical or diagonal pass, um, very good in aerial du duels as well. So together with Socek, they will look to dominate in uh, aerially, especially. Uh, mm -hmm. And then Arida, who's, uh, who, as I mentioned, is kind of criticized because, or scrutinized at least, because he he had a early career billing as a next Tomas Rosicki, which obviously hasn't happened. That's a bit of a mantle to place in any person's shoulders. To be fair, exactly, it's it's it's, it's the closest we come to next Messi, I would say. So, <laughs> not very easy to shoulder that that burden. Um, but yeah, so he he's been pigeonholed as a as a traditional number ten, which we he's never arguably been or or even supposed to be. Uh, so he's also more of a two-way presence. He, he can contribute at both ends of the pitch. He's actually a fairly good crosser. So again, delivery from free kicks or corner kicks is something to look out for. And generally, central midfield just has a very good balance. Uh, the only area I'm kind of worried for is they are fairly bad at, at catching those vertical runs that especially McGinn or even McTominay, I would say, uh, could uh could make and you know just squeeze past those three shouldn't be that hard because they sometimes get switched off. Uh, Interesting. So the deep run from midfield could be a threat. It's good to know that. Andy, That's you Stuart. obviously. Well, Stuart, sorry. Sorry. That that is should be music to Stuart Armstrong's ears. Hmm. I I think that'll be good. And we've definitely got a few players that can threaten from in, in that kind of way and, and and doing that kind of thing. You're obviously a, a sort of a, a pan-European commentator. Um, I've been very much focused in the English League in the last year, mate, so you've probably got a wider remit than me. In, in terms of those players in that squad, any names that stick out for you, Andy? Because you're obviously a good appraiser of European football en masse. I'm, I'm really curious. I don't really know much about him, but I'm really curious about Adam Klozek. Um Quite scared of him, I think. Yeah, I, I would say so. He's the sort of guy that if you see him in the touchline about to get brought on, I think that could put a bit of fear into, maybe not the players they can deal with that, but certainly the fans when you when you hear about a youngster um, that is scoring goals routinely at the age of 18, then it is enough yeah. to, to to worry you, certainly um, there, there are the main guys that I think Thomas has already covered, Patrick Schick and uh, was the guy from West Ham, Suchek, Thomas Suchek so yeah, Suchek. Those, those two are the ones that immediately jump off the page um, I don't know enough about Jakub Yankto, for example. Uh, I've heard of Vladimir Derrida, but these are not guys that I've watched uh, even on a monthly basis. Um, I'm familiar with Matej Vidra. And I think that if Scotland... I think I made this point, uh, Stu, when we were on with Rory the other day, that if Scotland are going to be, maybe not relying on Shea Adams, but certainly utilising him 
as because he's a player that is capable of scoring goals in the English Premier League and the English Championship, Vidra probably falls into that category as well. So if we are hmm. saying that Shea Adams can go and make things happen for us, we, we need to give Matis Vidra the same attention that we would expect other teams to give Shea Adams. No, I think that's fair to say. Just, just in terms of the, the overall balance of the squad, are you quite happy with the squad that was picked, Thomas? Do you think that the, the right selections were made? Or is there anyone who has missed out who you think should be in that Czech squad? Well, the, the biggest absence is something the coach couldn't do anything about, and that's Lukáš Provod, who you may remember from, from the two legs against Rangers as well in Europa League. He was yeah. arguably the best, best player in, in the spring in, in Europe. Talented player. Exactly. Very good at driving through, through the middle and just even pressing-wise, he would be very important. But sadly, he, he's done his knee just, just before the tournament, so he, he can't go. Uh, so that's the biggest absence that couldn't be prevented. Um, as for the one that was deliberate, that would be probably Bojek Dočkal, who, who was actually our captain as <laughs> as recently as May. Uh, but um, yeah, he wasn't picked for for March qualifiers already, and he was he, he's he's been in a bit of a decline as well. But he's he's that he's that player who who could give that final pass, uh, who's who's most uh, whose biggest calling card would be creativity and and just you know. Uh, unlocking defenses which is which is a quality we are definitely lacking at the moment and which could prove kind of essential uh, against Scotland straight away so just if if we are losing or if we are not winning uh just look out for for Czech people to to call for Dodgecal and ask some questions of, of the manager can I, can I, can no, I jump in this with a quick yeah, question I hit Thomas I heard um a couple of players that were called up to the Czech squad for the first time in September when you had the coronavirus crisis, remember, and Scotland won 2-1 in that game. So that was the first or one of the first times they'd been called up and they kept their place for the for the tournament. Yeah, uh, I mean, I mean who are they? It was one of those guys. And then you have Tomáš Holeš, especially, who could actually play, um, one, one of the midfielders, and he, he was instrumental in the draw with Belgium in March. Uh, he's he's a holding midfielder actually right back by trade, but he was transformed into into a holding midfielder of sorts in in 2019, and since then he's got a very good long range shot and uh, he's he's very good at intercepting passes and that kind of stuff. So he's a pretty much full package, and he was also good in in Europa League. He even deputized at, at centre back against against Arsenal when Slavia had a bit of a crisis back due to the. What's, his, and what's, what's his name? Thomas Holish. Thomas Holish. He's he's the fourth uh, from from yeah. above okay. uh, in in the midfielder section, and then Jakub Peshek, who actually scored against Scotland. Uh, he's the third from from below in midfielders, but he's he's unlikely to even get a minute. I would say so. Uh, yeah, these two definitely benefited benefited the most from from the whole uh, COVID situation. So, what, what, how's the Czech team gonna gonna line up then? What, what lineup do you expect to face Scotland tomorrow? I don't think there's many question marks. In fact, because Shelhabi has his set of players who he trusts uh, at just about any time. So even the friendlies that weren't all all that good and actually deflated the mood in the camp kind of especially among among fans i mm -hmm. think they aren't doing anything to to his ideal 
11, so it's going to be Watzlik from the back, then on the right back it's Sofal, of course. Um, at centre-back, that's actually been confirmed, the only position. The manager probably trying to instill some confidence in the tandem because they are criticised a lot, uh, or at least scrutinised a lot in, in, in media. Mm-hmm. He's, he's confirmed that Celustka, who's uh, playing for Sparta domestically, uh, but uh, a former Sunderland, if you're into Premier League, you may remember, but he, he didn't yep. play much for them. Uh, so Celustka and Tomasz Kalas, who obviously plays for Bristol uh, in Bristol City in, in the second tier in England. Yep. Former Chelsea prospect. And then on the left back, you have Jan Botel, who hasn't ever played abroad as the only defender starting, but he's very he's a very experienced uh continental um, cups uh, wise so he's actually had a second most start since like 2015 in in european in european cups or even 2012 uh so for, from from the czech people from the czech players so he's very experienced at least in that regard so hopefully he can be relied on as well i know it's just before you go into the midfield I noticed that there seems to be a lot more players who are playing natively in the Czech Republic than maybe years gone past. Is that just the the strength of of the the, the current sort of vintage of of Slavia and Sparta type players, or is it more a a sort of football holistic thing where more players are just staying in your home country due to I don't know just just the fact that other teams aren't buying them, there maybe isn't the market there, whatever. What reason would you put that down to? Because there does seem to be a higher percentage, particularly when it comes to starters of players who are playing in in the Czech top flight. Yeah, in recent past, I don't think we've really nailed the balance of of whether you're too young or too old to to leave. Even for a Sochek, in fact, plenty of people were like, he's long overdue, he's actually leaving too late. Uh, He was touted to be on the move uh, much earlier. Yeah, uh, he went. I think he was already 25 or something. So not many people uh, actually trusted him to to make the leap. And now you see him being a key player for West Ham. So yeah, maybe we just overthink it too much. But um, from those players who who are here, actually plenty of those uh, spend their formative uh, years or at least uh, as youngsters, they were already in abroad. That would be. Kalas especially, he was actually one of the record yeah. or signings uh, when he made. Is that is that a feeling with Kalas actually that, that he's not fulfilled his potential, given that he was picked up by Chelsea really young, showed great leadership from a young age as well. That's actually that's actually the case, arguably, of a player who made the switch too soon, or at least uh, who may have benefited. He he went back on loan to to Sigma almost straight after making the move to Chelsea. But he still didn't play much in in the Czech top flight, so maybe just getting one or two se- seasons under the belt would have benefited him. But then Yankto also he's been in Italy for for pretty much his whole teen years as well. Uh, Sheik made a switch at I think 19 or something. So so those key attacking players with Barak as well, who's who's in uh, at Verona at the moment. Those three have been abroad since early 20s or teen teenage years so uh those guys actually they are something of a blueprint of of when to make the jump and and actually stick uh stick around the the national team as well 
But then you have domestically, you have plenty of players, obviously, who have forged those Slavia connections and even players like Kral and Socek, their biggest advantage, arguably, in central midfield is the fact that Kral and Socek used to back up each other even during that uh, first quarterfinal run in Europa League in 2019. Uh, so they they are very, very much to, used to, to themselves. Then we have the right-hand click I, I mentioned in Sofal and Masopus. Shilhavi himself actually coached uh, Pavlenka and Barak to a Slavia title um, back in 2017. And then you have all, all sorts of, uh, all sorts of uh, Slavia players in between, even depth players. So, yep. and, and a very important part because these guys have won two domestic doubles in the last three years. They've made two Europa League quarterfinals. So you're talking kind of a Shakhtar uh, kind of vibe with, with Slavia of, of, of recent three years. But that, that's an uh, interesting comparison, mate. Yeah, and yeah I, I think I, that's, I guess, that's interesting. I guess we are not I'm quite sorry, there, or Slavia are not quite there, but, uh, you know, it's something they should be aiming for, uh, especially when you look for those Eastern European comparisons. I think Shakhtar or even... Uh, if you go west, probably Basel or, or, or clubs like that, you should be looking to those as, as a blueprint because they, they've consistently made the Champions League, even the knockout stages. They produce players who can be sold for, for a lot of bucks. And so that's something Slavia is definitely aiming for. And they seem to be on mm -hmm. track in the last three years. Do you remember so, a few years ago, hmm. sorry, um, when Rogers, Brendan Rogers was the manager at Celtic and Scotland had yep. at least four, maybe five or six Celtic players in the Scotland starting lineup? And that really benefited Scotland for a year because they all knew each other, yeah. they all knew each other's games. And it was quite an easy transition from club level to international level for Tierney, Griffiths, Armstrong, Scott Brown at the time, all these guys. And I'm. Um, that yep. has crossed my mind if that's going to be a similar situation with the Czech Republic where they have a good number of Slavia Prague players just walking into the Czech Republic team without really having to, to change much. Well, that, yep. that's it. And there's also that kind of fluidity and, and familiarity. It just, yeah. it really, if you've got club level familiarity and you can have that at international level, it can make a massive yeah. difference. Yeah, you get any views on that, Tom? In, in terms of how, yeah. and also, is there a, is there a pride in the Czech Republic at the strength of that Slavia team, which is is one of the best Czech teams in in recent memory? Well, I'm I'm sure you guys have it in Scotland as well, but <laughs> Sparta fans who are the main arch rivals of, of Slavia, yep. they they struggle with supporting Slavia players even for the national team. There's even a hashtag yeah, we know trending. About that. <laughs> I'm sure you have the same divide with Celtic and Rangers. And um, we have a hashtag trending that the national team is a foreign club, uh, which is kind of harsh as well. But it's it's used mostly by Slavia, who, who kind of prefer uh, the club achievements, especially at this moment when, when Slavia is even more successful than the national team. It didn't used to be the case when, you know, the Euro 2004 rolled around, everybody was cheering. Now it seems like uh, it's a bit of a more uh, parochial, I would say, the, the whole supporting of the national uh, or partisan. I don't know how, how yeah. to put it. Um, 
But but yeah, yeah, yeah I, I mean, I suppose you could apply. Kudela, had Kudela not gotten himself suspended stupidly, uh, there was actually there would have been a possibility of a all Slavia backline as well uh, from from early. Uh, so that would be a huge advantage as well, and and Chelsea would probably consider that as well. Just, I don't want to go down the rabbit hole on this one, mate. But what's the the view in, in the Czech Republic of the the Kudela situation? Because obviously there, there's been a sort of widespread condemnation in this country and, and further afield of of the reasons for the ban, which was obviously the racist incident incident with Glenn Kamara in the in the Rangers Slavia Prague game. On that. Is it viewed in the Czech Republic? Are they are they disappointed that one of the best players is not available, or is there an acceptance that there has to be a stand made about about an instant of that of that nature? Well, there uh, you would probably be disappointed disappointed reading the the reactions from most, uh, or I I don't know if it's most, but maybe it's like a 50-50 split. Uh, plenty of people definitely felt let down by Kudela, um, myself included. Uh, because in the end, it's it's just a situation of his own making, and he should he should definitely carry some some responsibility for that. But at the same time, there's plenty of people who who mention that it's not evidence based and you know presumption of innocence. Uh, those kind of concepts that kind of I don't feel they are very relevant at this point. Like we are not at court. We <laughs> uh, I I do feel that actually it's okay to presume. Um, presume um, guilt as well in this instance, especially when you come over to a player and you know uh, tell him something from up close. So yeah. Uh, yeah, there, there's been there's been definitely a, a pushback. Uh, some of it fair as well because uh, you've seen plenty of comments from even English, uh, Scottish, uh, other British British fans or spectators who who would be suggesting that this is just a inherent Eastern European nature of, you know, being racist and that kind of stuff. So you feel that kind of arrogance that plenty of Czech people respond to. Um, so that I find kind of fair because uh, I don't feel it's fair to associate the, the whole incident with a, with a whole nation. Um, but yeah, most of it, most of the pushback was actually just based on, oh, he's a nice guy. He would never say a thing like that. And that just doesn't seem to <laughs> sit well with me. Just on the on that sort of side of things, Andy. Um, obviously, there, there's been a bit of a, a story in the build up to this one with whether Scotland are going to take the knee or take a stand, all of that stuff. Try not to go down the the non football stuff too much on this pod, but given that, that, that you're obviously a, a journalist and you've you've covered stories of of this nature both in a sporting context and otherwise before. Do you have um, do you have any kind of view on, on on what Scotland are doing and and whether they're doing the right thing or not and whether it was right to change to taking the knee? Uh, I'm going to stay away from that one. Uh, I I don't have any particularly strong views on it either way. I'm I'm for challenging racism and being anti-racist in whatever way um, is the most appropriate or necessary. Right, that's fine. I'm happy with that because I, I don't want to go too too down the hole on this one. Um, let's move into the midfield of that Czech team. So we, we've spoken about the, the the back four. So quickly run us through who the who the back four is going to be again. Then 
Um, well, yeah, I be... think you could actually fill out fill out the rest yourself as well because uh, it's it's usually uh, it's all of the guys I mentioned. It's it's Socek and Cal and Darida would be in central midfield. Mm -hmm. On the right, it's probably Masopus, though this is probably where Hlojek would come in if he is to come in at all. Uh, I think he's going to be used more as a sub, uh, as uh, your colleague mentioned, but yeah, uh, Hlojek could possibly start at, at right wing as well. And then mm -hmm. would be Yankto. Uh, he's he's more of a central midfielder uh, in, in Italy, actually, so... Uh, he might he he will definitely tuck in tuck inside and and be that kind of inside forward more 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 or less and up top it's definitely Patrick Schick as well who's going to be who's basically the only goal pure goal scorer even even in terms of secondary scoring we don't really have any players who can contribute apart from set pieces so it's going to be huge if if he has his shooting boots we are going to be fine but if he does not it's it's very hard to see um where the goals are coming from can, can i jump in just, with a question yeah I, 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 well, yeah you can ask tom one then i've got one for you andy right okay i, I don't know if you, if you covered this in the first 10 or 15 minutes yeah, before i came on but thomas back home in the czech republic is there a public demand for closet to start because he's young and very promising because here there's a lot of demand for Billy Gilmore or Nathan Patterson to come straight mm. into the team and they've only got well Gilmore's got two caps and Patterson's only got one cap and this is the first time they've ever been in a Scotland squad. But still yeah. a lot of people are saying we need them in from the start. They should be playing and they won't they won't play from the start. Um but a lot of people I'd say Stu, I don't know about you, I'd say that probably more than fifty percent of the Scotland support now um, are supporting oh, Billy Gilmore at least to start the game. I, I did a um, poll. I did a poll, Andy, going into yeah. episode three um, yesterday's episode, which was about Billy Gilmore, and um, I'll just race down to. I think it was seventy-one percent. Oh, aye, seventy-one percent of respondents said they that go. they would like him to start that opening yeah. game. Are the numbers is similar it, with Klozek? Yeah, is it similar for Klozek? And that would be sorry. That would be instead of McGregor or. Probably McGregor. Probably, yeah. I would say that right. would probably be McGregor who would drop. Yeah. Uh, yeah, with Holacek, it's very much the same thing. Uh, obviously, you want to start uh, your youngster and your young star in the making, hopefully. Um, but the thing with him is, is we are not quite sure where where he fits in here because Sparta usually plays, or he he's been at his best in in a two forward formation. Whereas Shelhabi prefers four one four one something like that. So even like the second striker is not really viable for Shelhabi because he wants that third midfielder to defend a lot, and Hlojek doesn't do much of it at, at this point. So it's very much a thing of uh, him alternating for Masopus and bring him something, bringing something else in the late stages because Masopus, as I mentioned, he's a very good defensive winger. In fact. Defense is arguably his biggest strength and definitely his biggest advantage over over Hlojek, especially at a tournament like this. But he's very technically limited. He doesn't have that um, flair and, and that kind of stuff. That's definitely Hlojek's advantage. Uh, the, the only question is whether Shelhavi is actually willing to use it much. Uh, but as for a casual fan, uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure most of them would, would take Hlojek over Masopus even in his unnatural position, which would be the right wing. 
But I suppose particularly when you look at Scotland's strength down the left, that would be a big, big decision to start with Klozek then because you've got Kieran Tierney and Andy Robertson running at the opposition defence, you know? Yeah, also you have to think that uh, actually Klozek hasn't really played for either under-21s where he's only spent one half of the qualifiers and he didn't go to Euro because he was recovering from an injury. He hasn't really played for seniors as well, uh, with his only full start being the the game against Slovakia, which is also a, a long, long while ago. And he hasn't even played in Europa League that much because uh, he, even though Sparta played Celtic, obviously, in, in, in Europa League this season, he was actually injured for most of it. He only came on for yeah. 45 minutes against, against uh, Lille, I think. Um, so yeah, he, he just hasn't got that European experience, and this is very much his first break into into continental or international football. So that also factors in, I think, for Shelhabi. Uh, he just he can't be he can't be sure that that Hojek can be trusted in in those games as of yet. On that basis, do you think? Though we were talking about this a bit in episode one, Andy. The, the lack of fear factor, you know, sometimes with these young players just throwing them in and saying, you know what, go out and have a go. That can sometimes be more beneficial than putting in an experienced player who maybe thinks a little bit more about the, the gravity and the seriousness of the, the situation game-wise. So mm-hmm. I, I definitely think it's going to be, I mean, from a Scotland perspective, if we are leading by a goal with, with 20 minutes to go and Adam Klozek comes on, I'm going to worry. Like, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't yeah. matter that it's Kieran Tierney and Andy Robertson that he's going to have to try and, and, and get past. Uh, that's assuming he comes on in the right-hand side or, or, or even as part of a front two, um, like yeah. if, if the checks change it. I, I mean, I'll be worried if he comes on, will you? Oh, 100%. Looking at the players, I think it's maybe because it's a, there's a bit of the unknown about him um, that really kind of ramps up the, the fear with Klozek because... Being from uh, and living in Scotland, the match of the day and stuff that see plenty of uh, Suchek at West Ham know what he is all about. Um, Patrick Schick, because he's played for some bigger clubs, he is more prominent than Klozek. He's he's older, um, so we know a wee bit more about him. Uh, and he's got a good goal record for the Czech Republic. Thomas, I think he's like eleven goals and twenty five caps, something like that. Mm. Yeah, um, but with Klozek, I, I look at his stats um, and good goal return last season and I look at his age and I think oh my god this guy is going to be a really good player and he already is a good player for his age and I, I trust Scotland's left side I think we we must have one of the best left sides genuinely in the tournament which is yeah obviously. yeah yeah um and I, I trust Tierney and I, tr- I trust Robertson but it's, it's these wee guys that with, with the unknown but they come with a, a fear factor about them um, it's kind of like the like the baddie in a movie sort of thing, um, and I we just, I just want to avoid him at all costs. Um, although I, if if the game goes the way that I want it to go, then I assume that he will play some yeah, part. Yeah, want to try and change yeah. the game. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 the way that I feel about about it as well. On Patrick Schick, you you mentioned him quite prominently in episode one, Andy. Like, what what is it about his game that you really sort of fancy? Like, yeah, I think you've seen quite a bit of him. You you think he's a tidy just, player? Just just in just in highlights now and again. Um, I I said as well in episode one, so I hope I'm not contradicting myself here. I I like to try and watch football through my 
through my eyes rather than through data and stats and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but when I, Patrick Schick's just it's just a name that has been with Roma and Leipzig and, and now Leverkusen, right? That is three I, well, Europe, I was going to say elite. I'm not quite sure they're elite, but they're certainly around that orbit anyway um, of ones that compete in European football routinely. And when I looked into him a bit more and saw that he's scoring almost a goal every two games for his country, um, and his league record last season was one in three, one in two before that, this is clearly a guy that knows how to score goals. I'm not sure I would be... Lying to you, I'd be fraudulent if I said the type of goals that he scores more often than not. I don't know. It just seems to be that he is a reliable striker and the sort of player that we've been crying out for. Yeah. So let's throw you Thomas on that. What um, what would you say Patrick Schick's style is? What kind of striker is he? What kind of goals does he score? Yeah, it's, it's quite telling that arguably the biggest shortcoming uh, most people would point out is actually that he doesn't score enough <laughs> because yeah, yeah his, his biggest his best season still to date is, is his first one at Sampdoria in, in 2016-17 which was like something like 11 goals I think so he hasn't hit those highs where you would say wow this guy is you know uh, destroying the whole Europe but he's a fairly consistent player uh, at least he reaches those double digits. He's actually the only Czech player to reach a double digit of goals in two top, two different top uh, leagues. Uh, first, first player in history. So that's kind of a big deal as well. That's interesting. That, that's a really good yeah. start. Because he, he's done it in Italy and in Germany as well, and uh, now he came close to do it in Germany with a second club as well. So he, he could have done it for three clubs. Um, but yeah. Uh, the type of goals actually he kind of scores all kinds of goals which is his thing because he he's he's a complete striker on his day he can hold up uh the ball he can link up with with teammates especially Yankto, as i mentioned who he had who he has some tangible chemistry with um he can also he can strike it with his left uh, or right foot he's actually a left footed but but he can use both of his feet uh he's very good um aerially as well so he can definitely head one in as well uh so and i'm not liking it the sound of any of this Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> got it, but... yeah but but that's the thing when he's on uh he's properly on and and he's scary but he also has a weird off game for example against wales he actually elbowed uh elbowed uh, an opponent and got himself sent off which which set us back a lot uh at other times he would drift uh, all across the pitch he runs a lot he, he genuinely looks to connect uh, and he, he uh, usually doesn't hide but also there are games where he looks kind of lazy uh so it just it it sort of very much depends on the mood uh of, of the day so hopefully he's going to be on tomorrow but um if he's not um he might actually be fairly easy to defend or because he's going to sort of defend himself he's going to have that mental block, or or at least that's the assumption that that some people in the Czech Republic would have. But if you look up, if you look up his his goal against uh, Albania in in pre in pre tournament friendly uh, just just a few days ago, that's the kind of stuff that nobody, apart from maybe Logic, but nobody can really replicate. Very hard volley, just goal out of nowhere. Uh, that's the stuff he he can be all about and should be all about if 
we are to progress from the group. Yeah, just to help everyone, I've brought up the display names for everyone, which I had put off to do something last night and then forgot to put back on. <laughs> but yes, um, anyone that's watching this stream right now, please feel free to get in touch with any questions you've got before we wrap up. We'll probably wrap up in the next sort of 10, 15 minutes or so, but if you've got any questions you want asking before that, then please do get them in and we'll try and get them to Tomash and Andy. On uh, this, this sort of Czech team, I think we've got a good appreciation of the of the squad holistically. I'm quite interested in Salahavi, the coach. Um, what would you say the, the view is of him in, in your homeland, Tomáš? And what kind of coach is he? Well, should we expect someone who's quite demonstrative on the touchline? And then in terms of sort of attitude and approach, will he... Will he maybe surprise with a few selections, or is he quite safe in terms of the way he tends to go about his, his business in charge of the team? No, he's he's extremely predictable. Um, in fact, we haven't <laughs> got well, uh, he, we haven't gotten a goal from a substitute since September 2020 or something, going a, a, a way back uh, because he his in-game management especially leaves a bit to desire simply when the things don't go our way we kind of struggle uh, as I mentioned uh, but at the same time we look to we look to be active early on even against Italy we started off pretty well it lasted only three minutes or so but it, it still counted for something I suppose so yep. we we to start early, start well, score early, don't concede early, and when that happens or doesn't happen, then that very much, um, you know, gives gives you gives you the idea of how the the rest of the game is going to unfold as well. Uh, otherwise, Shelhavi is quite an interesting character because he's actually, I think, he holds the record for most red cars in the in the Czech top flight. He was a very tough center half. But uh, when you see him now, he's actually very soft-spoken, kind of gentleman-esque um, coach who doesn't even shout that much uh, on the touchline. So he's he's undergone a bit of a transformation in, in that regard. Uh, otherwise, he's very conservative with the, with his formation. Some people, or or even the official graphic, uh, has it as a four-two-three-one, which actually does some players it used to be Kral, it, now it's Darida, a bit of a disservice because none of those players is a traditional number 10 so it's not really uh, a 4 2 three, one it's more of a 4-1-4-1 mm. with one kind of withdrawn midfielder and then two in front of him. Uh, I think I, I don't know how you would try um, uh, Scotland formation, if it's 3-5-2 or if you put McGinn above all of those midfielders or, or two, two of them. I, I, would, I would call it, depending on the personnel that's playing, I would I would still call it a five at the back, even though they're wing-backs. I would mm. say it was a five at the back. And then I would say it would be a 3-1-1, one, one, probably. Like, mm. I would imagine, or a 5-3-2. If it's Adams and Dykes, you could probably call it a 5-3-2. Would you agree with that, Andy? Yeah, yeah, it's not a 1-1. One, one. If it's Adams and Dykes, it's definitely a 2. I am swithering so much. I've gone from one end of the spectrum to the other about team selection uh, at the top end of the park. Uh, I was convinced that it would be 
we just we pick Adams and decide who plays with him. Mm-hmm. And now I'm thinking maybe it'll be Dykes with Christie just off him, uh, or will it be Dykes and Adams together? I, I really have no idea what the priority is. It's interesting though that we're going in, and it's not. Uh, I mean, Thomas is just talking about how how predictable <laughs> the the Czech coach can be. Steve Clark's not really shown that yet. Like, but, which is so weird. Discussing. Yeah, it's so weird though because we could probably name at least nine players who will start the game, right? And we know that the formation is going to be a three-five-two or a three-five-one-one. But it, we still have so many question marks over what's going to happen. Like, yeah, everything seems there. There are barely any loose ends in this Scotland team, and yet there are still so uh, many combinations needing answered. Yeah, it's yeah. just we. It's just we pieces of the jigsaw, but we 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 still don't know. And I I think mainly it is the two. I think are the right sided centre half, and what does he do at the top end of the pitch? I think everything else is sorted. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think what could happen is you could have a, a change between the right centre half and the centre back, depending on the personnel that's selected. So that that side of the the, the centre of the defence, yeah, and I, I think you're right. I think that that is the the question marks. But for me, it's the it's the, it's the amount of combinations you can get from picking um, one position differently. You yeah. know, I, and I think that's the really interesting thing going into this for Scotland because if you play John McGinn off. Right, or you could play Ryan Christie off, or you could play Adams and Dykes together, um, or I mean, you could kind of argue that Adams would drop off as well. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's just it's, it's an interesting place to be because I cannot remember. I mean, I don't remember Scotland's major tournaments that well anyway. But I cannot remember going into big games with Scotland and being that sort of up in the air. Yeah. Also, yeah. as you say, that convinced by so many positions. Yeah. So the, the, the midfield. I think I think we can we can say I, I would say at least ninety percent or more it will be McTominay and McGregor here, right? Mm-hmm. And then towards the uh, it will be McGinn one in front, and either 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 Christie alongside them, or it will just be McGinn here and then Dykes and Adams like that. B can play sure. Armstrong as well. I, I I would have absolutely no qualms if it was Armstrong. Uh, I don't think he will play though. Uh, I no, don't think, but, but, which is a shame because, and I've made I've I've made this point loads of times. He's probably one of my favourite Scotland players. Stuart Armstrong is unique for us. We don't really have anyone else like him that moves with the ball the way he does, the way that he gets past midfielders and defenders, breaks the lines, scores goals. Um, and I know that McGinn has got a good goal scoring record over the last eighteen months to two years, but he, he's got a different style of play to Stuart Armstrong. He, he's He's more uh, robust, kind of a, a bull in a china shop sort of guy, whereas Armstrong's very graceful. He kind of just floats with the ball uh, through the nice pitch. It's lovely. Um, yeah, really, really good. So uh, I would I would be totally fine, but I th- this is just predicting what Clark will do. I think that Clark has got absolutely extreme faith in Christie. Quite rightly, he's never let Clark or Scotland down. Um, and I think that it will be Christie and... McGinn playing off either Dykes or Adams. I'm not sure what one. Right, that's interesting. Just on the the the, the note there that you're saying about Armstrong, it might interest you to know in episode two, we we're talking about Shea Adams, but we've got my mate Will Turner, who really knows his football, and he's a Southampton fan, and he said right, yeah. Stuart Armstrong 
has been their best player, at, like over the Love last couple of years. And Love that's that. that's brilliant to, yeah. to know because in my head he was a bit part player, and I said that to him, and mm-hmm. I just thought it was really interesting to get get that that sort of assessment. But just um, just in terms of those sort of that variety of attacking options, Tomash is is there an awareness in the Czech Republic that Scotland could maybe approach this a bit differently in terms of the personnel that they select, or do, do you think they, they think they've got a handle on the way Scotland are going to go about it in the camp? Uh, yeah, I think either way, we we don't really have centre-backs to um, counter whatever you're going to throw at us, because most of those, or all of those players you've mentioned, uh they are very smart at movement they can they can sneak in behind the line they can stretch the play they can drop deep they can do just about anything and 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 running and clever movement is is uh is one of their strengths and our center backs or even as i mentioned midfield when it comes to tracking the runs in behind they are not very good and the center backs in fact all of them uh, they are pretty good at that kind of rudimentary stuff where you know you need to win a header or you need to make a clearance, last ditch tackle or that kind of stuff. That's all fine. When it comes to defending space and and those like abstract positioning wise things, they can struggle uh, even with pace and and recovery pace and and that kind of stuff. So that makes me worried. Uh, I think actually. Scotland has, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you, you've got very dynamic forwards and uh, those types, as opposed to perhaps target men. Like, uh, no, Dykes is more of a target man, I would say, but, but everyone right, else okay. is more of a movement. Now, would you agree right. with that, Andy? Yeah, Dykes is a target man, um, but he's not... He's not a snail there, you know, and he's, he's strong. He was a nuisance as well in, in the game... He's a total Thomas, Thomas, see, see against against Serbia last year. That is the best performance I have ever seen from a Scotland striker. Ever. I am the exact same, mate. Absolutely, yeah. completely. He was, he was honestly absolutely phenomenal, and exactly what I wanted from a Scotland striker. Because remember, Stuart, when we got pumped four 0 by Russia, right? Uh, and uh, Artem Zuba was yep. unplayable, and we had we only had four at the back that night. I think it was Scott McKenna. Mikey Devlin, I think, played. Uh, and then it would have been O'Donnell or Palmer and Robertson at left back, probably. Yeah. It felt like he had all four of them focusing on him at the same time. Yep. He was all across the back four. And he was Juba, by was, the way. He I was incredible. Back, but yeah. so graceful and, on the ground as well. To say yeah, it to and, and after that game, that I was just thinking, oh my God, I wish we had someone that could do that. And then... A year later, Lyndon Dykes had committed to Scotland, and uh, he came in and, and he scored against Czech Republic a good goal in the in the game where they they had the coronavirus problems, yep. and uh, and then in the the final against Serbia, it, every single header, everything that went towards him, I it was like it was like a magnet. He just won the ball every single time, and that's what allowed Christie and McGinn and, and the boys to to get on the ball. He was he was absolutely incredible. Ah, he was brilliant. Nah, and my, my dad's got a really good name for him. He calls him the hundred percenter. And, and that's the yeah. thing. Like, even if Dykes, even if his touch is a wee bit looser, he's not not performing at his optimum level, he's gonna give you a hundred and ten percent. I yeah. think it's if he was just a bit more naturally clinical because he missed a few chances against Luxembourg that too many worrying you, you, amounts of chances. You, you hope you hope that your striker would score at least one of them. 
Yeah. Um, and he, he was unlucky with the one that hit the post, but he, he, of the of the three or four good chances that he had, we need we need a striker that is going to score them. Um, and I think that though, even though Lyndon Dykes isn't uh, an absolutely lethal player, he's coming into this tournament from some good form with QPR. And I think his influence and impact on the team outside the penalty box balances up the fact that he's not, um, you know, Michael Owen or Alan Shearer in front of goal. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Yeah. And I think Scotland are a better team with him in it for the most part, yeah. which is why there seems to be this real thing that, that Shea Adams is the first striker whose name you put in the team sheet. And I understand it and do, I think, quality and, and level-wise, he's a better player than Lyndon Dykes. Yes, I do. Would I have him in the Scotland team before I would have Lyndon Dykes in the Scotland team? I think there's an argument to say, depending on the challenge of the centre-half you're up against, then you can make yeah. that argument. And I would agree with that, but I would still put Lyndon Dykes down as one of the first names well, in the team sheet. I'm, just I'm one of the, the ones. way he approaches it. I'm one of the ones that has said, even this week in the build-up to the game, I want Shea Adams on in the starting lineup, and we decide who plays with him rather than the other way about. Yeah. But, and then the next the next day, I'm thinking actually, no, <laughs> maybe it would be better if we play Lyndon Dykes. And then the next day, I'm like, no, both of them need to play. And then I, I can't I can't decide. What one thing I'm absolutely certain of, I think we should definitely play Dykes against England. Aye, no, 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 I without a doubt. Uh, and and like, he also seems to, I, I tweeted this <laughs> kind of half-jokingly, uh, he handballed the ball against Luxembourg, and I said that the, the union will dissolve upon itself if he handballs the ball past Jordan Pickford. Like, that, that'll, be, that'll be the end of the union right there. <laughs> An Aussie repatriated as a Scot, hand of God in it. Aye, that, that'll be the end right there. Um I think, to be honest, I've covered most of the ground that I want to in terms of... I mean, the good thing that's coming through for you, Andy, is, like, the buzz is there. And, like, that's one thing, Tomash, like, I, I don't know if, if you guys in the Czech Republic know this, but Scotland is absolutely buzzing about this. It's been so long. We are so, so excited just to be at a tournament. And the hunger, the desire, the passion, which a lot of people associate with Scottish crowds and Scottish fans anyway across the continent... Imagine that amped up to like real fever pitch levels because that that's the way that we feel as a country right now. Is there an awareness of that in the Czech Republic? I mean, do you know the buzz that we've got? Do you know about Yes Sir I Can Boogie and all that kind of stuff? Oh, absolutely. I mean, when I was writing my, my tournament preview on Scotland, I actually I played a couple of compilations from, you know, going all the way back to, to hitting the rock bottom and then uh, arising, uh, uh, some of the guys who also do podcasts, they they've done them, they've done those pieces, and I, and I'm like, there are so many compilations. I, I I was actually getting chills just writing about our opponents. Uh, so it's definitely inspiring, and and I think that's where we are going to come way shorter um, when it comes to this kind of intensity. Especially, I mean, I I try not to read too much in in friendlies, but it genuinely looked like so many of our star players are just tired uh, at the moment and it makes sense i mean the whole season was was just fucked up when it comes yeah to... it was it was covid condensed wasn't exactly it? covid but also so many of those players like sochik and sofal they are playing about four each uh, 4k of, of minutes uh, at, at the tournament which is which is a lot and they they may not handle it very well 
And another thing, obviously, is that we are not going to be based in Scotland after all. So, so you don't get that kind of tournament bus over here. And so, of course, there are some advantages, like they are going to be in a calm hotel somewhere in Prague. But then you also have the traveling just before the match. You don't really suck in that atmosphere. Um, and so, yeah, it, it, it can feel... I am worried it can feel as something like being thrown to 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 lions. Um, <laughs> if, I don't know how many how many fans are actually going to be allowed in the stands. Uh, I don't know how many how much percentage is going to be, but still I, I expect uh, great atmosphere and that's going to be pretty tough to handle. I would say for 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 the guys. We'll ask the man with a handle. Uh, how big do you think the Hamden Roar is going to be and how big a factor do you think it's going to be, Andy? I think it will be a factor, uh, especially during the anthem. I'm pretty sure of that. Yeah, uh, It's strange to think that it is now, oh, I can't do the maths quickly enough, November 2019, so 20 months? 20 months? No, 19. November 2019. When we beat Kazakhstan, that was the last time that we were at Hamden, which is absolutely... Insane. Um, yeah, so the yeah, I, I really do think that it, it will make a, a difference. It has crossed my mind that Scotland, when dealing with more pressure, tend to fold rather than be encouraged. Um, but I think that especially the way that this team now has solidified and found a rhythm together, that 12,000 will not be a hindrance at all. I think it will push the boys on, and I think that. Because of the novelty of having fans in stadiums, I think that, uh, well, at the moment anyway, I think having only 12,000 and however many are shouting for Scotland could feel like 30 or more thousand. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just cool. hearing that crackling buzz of anything yeah. in a football stadium, in the, in the opening game in, in Rome, like, it, it was just refreshing. Yeah, it was yeah, just yeah. refreshing to hear an actual crowd. And by the way, Andrea Bocelli singing Nessun. Oh, Burma. yeah. <sighs> Yeah, brilliant. That was something. That was yeah. really, really something. The, the the fact that, again, what I talk about, the, the fans pushing Scotland on, and part of me worries that Scotland has never really dealt well with pressure, and that's my biggest fear for this Czech Republic game, that I think there is a massive expectation that we are just yeah. going to beat them uh, and not really have to try too hard to do it. That's, that's my worry at the moment, that that's what a lot of people think. Um, but if you look back to Strachan's last campaign... How many late goals did we score at Hamden when the fans were having to get right behind the team? We scored in the last minute against Slovenia. We scored two late goals against England. We scored in the, even later against Slovakia um, at Hamden. And we scored a last-minute equaliser against Lithuania. Like I'm pretty sure it was like something like six out of the eight goals we scored at home came after the 85th minute or something like that. Um, in that campaign, so my concern with that is that we're due something going the opposite way. Late on in the game, like that—that's that, the way that I look at these kind of things. Like Harry, Harry Kane used up that quota, mate. And one you reckon? Ah, I suppose. And I was going to say you can't really fling the England game in there because of the way that that sort of went. Yeah. But aye, no, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting place to be, and it's also interesting that you've got two games at Hamden, you know, uh, which is, I mean. It's kind of ideal in a sense because we've got two home games during the tournament. Um, Thomas, we, we I, I kind of know Andy's view on this because we talked about it in episode one, but I'm interested in yours. What do you think of the, the format of the tournament, the pan-European thing, 
the number of teams that qualify, all of that kind of stuff? What, what, what's the feeling of yourself on that? Well, first of all, I, I don't have an issue with expanding as such. I, I think it's it's okay to bring in uh, other nations like Northern Mac Macedonia and and those kind of countries that make it for the first time. And we saw with Finland as well, uh, you know, just getting a victory on, on your debut is, is something to uh, enjoy. Tricky party. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Obviously, it was overshadowed by, by the whole Ericsson thing. So, um, but yeah. Um, so I'm all for expansion, but not the way it's going It's going at the moment. Uh, I would probably create like four groups of six and have them play in, in a bit of a sort of, I don't know what to compare it to, uh, maybe the South American qualification or something that li like that, like you, okay. you those those bigger groups, uh, have them play uh, five games. I think the UEFA Cup of all days, they also had five teams and with, with three progressing or two progressing. So yeah, I just don't like the third place uh, team. Yeah. Um, because it just creates all kinds of uh, playing out for a nil-nil draw situation, mm -hmm. which, which shouldn't which shouldn't really happen at at the tournament. Um, yeah. I think it dilutes and, and uh, it. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I, it, and Scotland could benefit from this. Czech Republic could benefit from this. Definitely. But I don't like that you can get through with one win and two defeats from three games. I mean, you, you you don't need to look further than than Portugal last time last time out when, yeah. when they drew their <laughs> their way out of the game. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, mm, that that's kind of a bummer. Uh, but at the same time, that also makes it important to not overreact to a uh, to a to a potential opening loss, even for us. I think because we've already bounced back from from uh, a lost opener to even topping our group in 2012 and that was without you know a third team potentially progressing we lost the opener in 1996 as well when we actually went on to to uh, clinch a silver medal so yeah uh, just it's it it makes it even even more important to not overreact and to not panic even if it doesn't go right in in the first yeah. game yeah, that that's our aim this year, mate. We want to make the finals, uh, like the, the the final ourselves. So we're we're aiming to emulate you in Euro '96. That would be sure. pretty cool. Play sure. well, we, like. I know we're very good at being self-deprecating about this, and I think that people talk about Scotland reaching the final or winning it so much because we we don't really believe that there's any chance of it, right? But mm -hmm. can you actually imagine? If Scotland did do a Wales and even had a run to the semi-final or something, it would be amazing. We were looking at the permutations. I was doing a Hamden Roar the other night, and if Scotland, if you finish first in our group, that's bad news because you'll play second place from the group that has France, Germany, and Portugal. Mm -hmm. If you finish third in our group, you will play the winner of the group that has Belgium or the winner of the group that has Spain or the winner of the group that has Holland. So if all of them do what is expected of them, then they will play, one of them will play the third place from our group. If you finish second in our group, you play the second place finisher from the group that has Spain, Slovakia, Poland and Sweden. So if Spain do the business, which we, they probably will, maybe Poland will push them close, but if Spain win their group, and Scotland finish second, we there is a chance of a run. There's a chance 
chance of a run, but you know the absolutely Scotland thing to be would uh, to do would be to win the group. <laughs> Somehow, yeah. And then end up with one of those really difficult games. So aye, no, I I think it's interesting that you cheers for breaking that down there. Um breaking down the permutations is interesting, but in true football manager fashion, I'm gonna say We've got to focus on this first game. Next game, first. yeah, next game. Aye, we absolutely <laughs> need to do that. And I think there's there's going to be a focus. And Tomas, your, your insights have been really interesting, mate, in terms of um, the intensity and, and, and the fact that that might not be there as much from the Czech team. Um, I can only hope that you're right in that score. But also, I do think that the Czech Republic have the quality to hurt us. Similarly, though, Scotland have the quality to hurt you guys. And this feels like the game that's... Kind of, it's at least up in the air a bit. I think either team could win it. Uh, and I think it's probably the, the game in the group that that's most true of for, for both teams. Just casting an eye ahead to today, uh, at two o'clock, we've obviously got England against Croatia, the other two teams in the group facing off. How are you guys feeling about that? I've also seen a news story that it's likely that you're going to have Raheem Sterling and Phil Foden both starting for England today. He as well that he wants to start Trippier at left back over Chilwell and uh, Luke Shaw. Well, I've no seen That's that. The, yet. Athletic, the, athletic, the athletic were reporting that this morning. Southgate's going for four at the back, uh, and it'll be Reese James on the right and Trippier on the left. Well, that would be. I mean, do you know what I would say about Gareth Southgate? Is I think he's a really good international boss, and. The one thing that he seems to do is he doesn't even really seem to be bothered at all by making a controversial decision because he's done it a few times in his England tenure where he's, he's he's done something maybe a bit unorthodox that a lot of people would criticise and he doesn't seem to be bothered about the criticism. So fair play to him for that. Yeah, yeah. But, I, wonder what he's, I wonder what he's got up his sleeve with that though because, I mean, Chilwell and Shaw are both really good players. So what is it that he's seen in Trippier who's... A very right-footed player. To set piece prowess, maybe. Uh, like, no bad on a set piece. Not maybe. quite Trent Alexander-Arnold, but yeah. I mean, could, could maybe be that. Uh, Reese James, obviously, a really good athlete. What, I, I think that's that's interesting, as you say. Like, I what's, mean, what's, what's the best outcome for us in this game? I was thinking about this, and, and by the way, Thomas, I suppose it's the same for you because because we're kind of in a similar position on the sidelines looking at this one. Whoa. I think part of me thinks a draw, then part of me thinks an England win. But I can't. I don't want England to win. Like I think, just I think, to make I this clear, that. by the way, on the Tartan Daily's official position uh-huh. in England games, as we hope we get beaten every one. Um, so aye, but what, what would you think? The England win. Aye, but can you support them? Actively support them and want them to win. I, th- I, w- I, want, I would prefer, obviously I want us to get at least a point against England, but I think we want them to, to run ahead and win the group. I agree, if, if we're being yeah. holistic and mature about it, but yeah. can you actively support England in a major tournament finals game? Uh, I, I'm not going to be shouting and cheering if they score. Um, I'm, 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 I, I like the rivalry with England, right? And uh, I too. quite enjoy seeing them, seeing them lose, uh, but I'm not... I'm not going to be frothing at the the mouth with anger if they if they win uh, or anything like that. So uh, I want to I what what I want to happen is what is best for us. And if that means that England win the group and we get an easier draw, then fine. 
very dignified and mature of you, mate. Tomas, how are you feeling about watching Sir England Croatia? What what are you wanting to happen, and what do you expect to happen? Yeah, I, I think for you guys, if if England lose, they are going to come out firing against against Scotland. That's a good point. So, <laughs> last thing we need. Exactly, just because of that, I think you should at least wish for a draw, like very reluctant. Um, but yeah, for me, it's definitely I would I kind of hope that that England even win by two or three goals, and because I can see Croatia imploding completely after that happens. Um, Dalic has a bit of a reputation of a coach who can overreact or even panic, and um, they they just don't seem ready. They don't seem to have midfield uh, figured out. So probably. If if the if the opener doesn't go their way, they are going to reshuffle again, uh, which could suit us as well because the the strength of the team is balance and cohesion and that kind of stuff. So hopefully, that could pu- uh, push us to edge them. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll probably be. I, I won't have any issues with cheering for England. <laughs> no, no, that's fine, mate. You're not a different yeah. boat for us in in that regard. I've obviously no Andy's view on this. How do you expect the group to kind of finish up in terms of where the checks come, where Scotland come, and the results in each match? So, if you maybe just want to talk us through, talk us through the Czech team first, and then the Scottish team. What what, what results you expect in each game? Um. Yeah, I think. I actually think I had Croatia fourth, <laughs> which might be under. I can see that, by the way. I, I can but actually see that. I, I genuinely think they've regressed too much since the World Cup, and, and plenty of people are actually overrating them at, at this point. Uh, also, the opener against England is arguably the worst kind of scenario you, you want to face. So yeah. that doesn't doesn't probably doesn't play into their advantage. But yeah, maybe I'm just being too harsh on them. Uh, but even having spoken to a few Croatian journalists, they don't feel too confident as well. Uh, so I can finish. I can see them finish even below Scotland. Um, I think. I mean, I had us taking the second place because we would draw with Scotland, then beat Croatia, and possibly even draw England, depending on the approach um, they take. They rotate too much, which I don't think actually Southgate would be prone to do. Uh, but he, if if he does kind of uh, meddle with the balance or whatever, uh, then we might also snatch a point. But generally speaking, I think four points should be should be the yeah might be even the ceiling for us. Fair play. And Scotland, what do you how do you think we'll go? Scotland, I can I can see the the point against us and possibly a, a draw against Croatia as well. Maybe even three draws. Actually, I could I could imagine for Scotland. Uh, That's interesting. Yeah, I, I haven't given it uh, too much of a thought, to be honest. No, <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Um, I've not got much ground I want to cover. Uh, I think we've we've done nearly ninety minutes here, so that's I would say that's ample for a Sunday morning. Easy like Sunday morning listening. Happy days. Uh, is there anything else that either of you want to know from each other just before I ask people where to find you and stuff? Ask where people can find you. I'm really struggling with this early Sunday start, by the way. Like, mm-hmm. honestly, my, my head's not woken up yet, and I didn't have time to have a cup of tea before I come on, and I think that has as the equivalent of going into a game with a groin strain. Like, honestly, uh, that's that's really undone me this morning. Uh, but, yeah, um, a- any other questions you want to ask from Tomas, Andy, just going into before tomorrow, because, obviously, good insight to get. Yeah, no, it's been, it's been a good chat. Um, covered a lot of things, so all good. 
No, happy days. Um, so, Thomas, we'll start off with yourself. Where can people find you, my friend? Well, um, I have my personal account where I probably tweet again more about the other games uh, happening at the Euros, which is at Tom Danitek. Uh, but I also run a Czech footy account at Czech footy, which is just dedicated to the Czech, Czech football and to the Czech national team these days. So uh, any any stuff happening, any important stuff happening around the national team are going to find there as well. Excellent stuff. Andy, where can people find you, mate? At Hamden Roar on Twitter. It's a Scotland podcast where we discuss things like we've discussed today. And I do feature interviews with former Scotland players and managers about their memories of playing with the, the national team. Brilliant stuff, my man. Um, thank you very much for your time to both of you. Going to be keeping a keen eye on that England game today, and then it's after that, it's full steam ahead for our first major tournament game in 23 years, which, even as I say it, seems pretty remarkable. So, looking forward to that one. To everyone that has watched and listened subsequently to the podcast, thank you very much, and I hope you enjoy it. No Scotland, no party trips. Thank you for watching today's Tartan Daily. I hope you enjoyed the episode. We'll be doing each of these every day during the Euros, as long as Scotland are in the tournament. Remember, you can find me, I'm Hodgie the Hack, that's H-O-D-G-E-Y the Hack, on all social media. So that's Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. If you were watching the stream on YouTube today, then please remember to hit the bell for notifications of future streams. And if you're listening on the podcast, then you can subscribe on your major podcast players and please give a rating or a comment saying how much you enjoyed it. And remember, if you're enjoying these podcasts, then please share them with all your friends. Thank you very much for watching or listening. And remember, no Scotland, no party. <laughs>